still believing and still claiming, proclaiming that God is good. And it's hard. And with all that, it makes a lot of sense and it's really easy for us to doubt. And I'm not even talking about doubting that God exists because that's something you can't prove, you can't disprove. I choose to believe it. Um, We can wrestle with that in another sermon. Um, But for Christians who we, we say God is, and yet we doubt a lot of things about God. And doubt is held up very highly in our culture. Like doubt is a good thing. We want, to, we want to be skeptical. We want to doubt and question and challenge everything. You don't ever want to just believe. Belief is frowned upon. You want to be skeptical and be cynical. And that's considered a really high value, especially outside of the church. And then inside the church, we doubt and we're almost afraid to admit that because it makes us feel like or look like the rest of the world instead of Christians. We're just supposed to believe and have faith. And yet there's so much doubt. And I've been teaching uh, for the last eight months with the youth group through the Pentateuch. We finished Deuteronomy this week. Yay, I'm not preaching on the end of Deuteronomy, guys. Um, Although it's fun, but uh, you can read it for yourselves later. But we spent eight months um, going through Genesis through Deuteronomy and wrestling with all kinds of things, um, debating what the fruit likely was that Adam and Eve ate. I personally think it cannot possibly be durian. If you can't figure out why I think that, ask me later. But all different things, or why is there evil in the world? We didn't come up with an answer, by the way, but we know a lot more and think a lot more things than we did at the beginning of that. Um, All kinds of things that are like, why did this happen? How did this happen? What's going on? But one of the themes that kept coming up throughout the book, well, there are several themes. One of the ones that I'm talking about today is, is the theme of doubt. And this starts at the very beginning. God creates the world, and the world is beautiful and magical, and everything good is in the world. Anything that you could want, anything that you need, he made it perfectly for the first people to live in. So I'm, being as God is all-knowing and all-powerful, I really doubt he left anything out. He has everything. And it's before there's pollution, and it's before there's any sort of corruption, decay, anything. So it's beautiful. And so he makes the first humans. And God even comes and walks with them, which I personally think would be so cool. I wish that still happened. I want that to happen in my life where God sits down and has a cup of tea with me every morning. I kind of feel like my day would go better always, regardless of what happened. Be like, okay, well, I got to talk with God. That's cool, which I do, and it is cool. But like that is just an amazing picture that I I can't always picture, even when I'm having my cup of tea and talking to God now. Um, but he would come down and he would spend time with them and know them and they would know him. And this is, this is their life. This is normal. And then three chapters into the Bible. It's a pretty big book. We're just like a couple pages in. This crazy thing happens. And this snake who talks, I, I don't, was it normal for animals to talk? We didn't quite figure that out either. It's possible. Who knows? But she doesn't seem, Eve doesn't seem shocked by a snake talking. But the snake says, did God really say? And he challenges God's authority. He doesn't say, is God really real? That's not a question. They know God. They've seen God. They've experienced God. Let's not go that way. But he plants the first seeds of doubt. Did God really say? Maybe she never heard God. Maybe God gave this message to her husband who passed it on to her. Or maybe it was a long time ago and she might have forgotten. Maybe God didn't really say that. And Eve starts to doubt. Did God really say? 
And it may not even be about, did he actually say something? But did he really mean that? Or is he really thinking about what's best for me? And so I think that is the first doubt. Does God really care about what's best for me? Does he really care about me personally? And so Eve, as we know, she takes the fruit that she's not allowed to eat and she eats it. And then she shares it with her husband and he eats it. And the one rule, the one command, they've disobeyed. One. Imagine a world with only one rule. That's an amazing thought too. Um, I wish it were that simple. And yet, even if there are only one rule and doubt creeps in, um, there's a tendency for us to second guess. Does God really care about what's best for me? Is he just saying it to be mean? Is he just saying it to show he's in control and has more power? Does he really care? Am I just a pawn in his game? And so they're driven out of the garden, out of this perfect environment. And, and the story goes on, and this is the beginning of doubt, the beginning entrance of evil into the world, but it gets worse and worse and worse to the point where God destroys the world in a flood and starts over with one family. And then it gets worse again, and um, people's languages get all mixed up, and they start going all over the, the earth. And then he again chooses one family, where he says, I'm going to work through this one family. And he made a promise to this family. And he says, I will, give you a, I will give you descendants more numerous than you can count. I will give you land as far as you can see. And I will make you a blessing so that every nation on earth will be blessed because of you. This is Genesis 12. So it's still very, very, very beginning of the Bible. Don't worry, I'm not preaching through the whole thing. We'll we get through a lot though. Um, very beginning of the Bible. And he says, I will do, I will, he has these three promises. And these are key throughout the whole Bible a people, descendants, a nation. I will make you a nation, land. To this day, we hear about this land. It's in conflict because of this promise of God. And I will make you a blessing so that everyone will be blessed through you. And then Abraham gets older and older and older and older and older and is unable to have a son. And God keeps reaffirming this promise. And Abraham twice because he's afraid of, for his life, tries to give his wife away. Like, how are you going to have a son without a wife? Like, think here. And then he is like, well, she's not getting pregnant. I don't have a son. And so he um, sleeps with a servant girl and has a son. So it's like, a, it's, I mean, it's his descendant, but God promised him and his wife. And so he's trying to make this promise work. And then finally, Abraham has a son. And God says, offer up your son as a sacrifice. And Abraham's doubt, which isn't real pronounced, but you do see it in his actions, is this, will God really do what he promised? And Abraham is held up as a model of faith, but if you look at his life, yes, he is very faithful, and yet there are clear moments of doubt, clear moments where he tries to take God's plan on himself. He tries to figure out another way because God doesn't quite seem to be following through. And this is a temptation for all of us. Um, and we even advise each other that way when God doesn't seem to be acting. Like, we need to go out and take it into our own hands. Like, maybe God is waiting for you to do something. Maybe, but maybe we just need to wait for God. And in Abraham's case, yes, God did really do what he promised, but it took a long time. He's 100 before he has a son. That's a lot of patience, a lot of waiting, a lot of years of wondering, will God really do what he promised. And even then, God promised a great nation. God promised land. Well, in all of Abraham's life, he's wandering from one place to another. That's what you do when you have flocks and herds. You live off the land. You move wherever it feeds you. You go to Egypt when there's a famine. 
Um, and he was never settled. He had one son. How is this a great nation? Did he live to see his grandchildren? Barely. And then there were two of them. <laughs> so again, great nation, lots of land, and blessed to be a blessing. And you start getting glimpses of this, and yet for him being in that moment, would he have seen it? I'm not sure. Will God really do what he promised? And the story continues, and Abraham has a son who has two sons, and the blessing goes through one, who finally has 12 sons, but then they try to kill each other, and that's drama. Um, and they end up in Egypt, so they're away from the land. And the story continues, and 400 years pass, and, and they're in Egypt saying, we are being mistreated, we need to be, well, we need to be. Where, where is God in our mistreatment? Where is God when he promised us land over here, but we're here, and we're stuck, and they won't let us leave? We're becoming a great nation, but a nation of slaves? Is that really what God intended? And then God sent Moses. You all know that story. He delivers them from Egypt and brings them out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea. They don't even have to fight the Egyptians. God does all the fighting for them. There's no, like, get your swords ready, nothing. Get to the Red Sea, and they're stuck against the, the edge of the sea, and the Egyptian army's approaching, and they're afraid because they're not prepared to fight anyway. Moses raises his arms, and the sea parts. And the Israelites cross through. The Egyptians don't quite make it. God fights for them. And they experience this. It's not even like we heard about it. Like, they saw it. I can only imagine. I'm waiting anxiously in great anticipation to ask God to show me his home movies because that is something I really want to see. Um, creation, but the Exodus, the Red Sea, that's crazy. And so they experienced this. They saw this. They get into the wilderness, and it's like real wilderness. We think California is. California is not even there. Um, this is like all rock. Like nothing does grow. Nothing can grow. And um, so they have no food. And God miraculously provides water in various places. He provides food. Um, they have manna, which means what is it? Because they don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. We debated that. We still don't know what it is. Um, some sort of bread-like substance is generally the guess, but look at the description. It's weird. I don't know what it is. And then time passes, and they get bored of the miracle that God is giving them. And they're like, man, the food was good in Egypt. They saw all these things that God did. We, we, we claim if we saw God, we would no longer doubt. Um, here's evidence that even in the midst of this, they're like, he's not bringing us where he said, who is this guy Moses? Like, maybe he's not the real deal. We should go back to Egypt. There's good food there. And one of the things I'm always challenging the teenagers, but also challenging myself, is that we need to remember what God has done. Because if we focus on what God isn't doing, that might be all we see. Whereas if we focus on what God is doing and what God has done and actively choose to remember this, even in those moments when we're like, yeah, the food is good in Egypt, but God has done these amazing things that the Egyptians have no idea of. Well, they saw the first part of it, but even keeping us alive for 40 years of nothing. But even before the 40 years happened, God had sent them um, to view the land that he was giving to them, the land that he had promised Abraham. And so 12 of them, one from each tribe, go and visit, and they look at the land, and they bring back amazing food. They had grapes that was like on a, I don't know what it would be, like a pole that they're carrying between their shoulders, and it's like, that's how big the grapes are? Like, I can't even imagine this. Like, I can hold grapes in one hand. 
um, but they were like carrying it on a, on a rod. And they told them about like this amazing food. Oh, and in the process, it says nothing about them being attacked. So it sounds like either the people gave them the food or they were able to just, you know, glean. There was so much, they were able to take it unnoticed. They come back and they're like, man, this land is amazing. The food there, um, you're not hearing them talk about Egypt at this point, so the food must have looked pretty good. But the people are big and scary. And again, God has told them to go, this is your land, I'm going to give it to you. And they doubt, is God really who he says he is, even after all these things? And this takes us through the first five books of the Bible. And there are other questions, there are other things that we debate, that we, we talk about, that we wonder, that we wrestle with. But there's so much doubt, even with these people who see God, who experience God. Does God really care about me? What be what's best for me? Will God really do what he's promised? And is God really who he says he is? And I chose these three questions to look at because there's numerous questions. There's many more things that, why does God allow evil? I'm not going there. You can talk about it later. Talk to the kids. We discuss it almost every week. Um, why did God allow this when he could have stepped in and done this? There's so many things that we can question, so many challenges to faith. But I wanted to look at these three because I feel like this is personal. And this is in a lot of ways where it hits home for us. Does God really care about us? Will God really do what he's promised to me, to you? And is God really who he says he is? Yes, we know God exists, but what if our picture of God is, is wrong? And I think that in the New Testament, Jesus answered yes to all those questions. Yes, God really does care about what's best for me. Yes, God really does do what he promised. And yes, God really is who he says he is. So I'm gonna go really quickly through these passages, but if you wanna write them down to look them up later. Um, Mark 1, 40 to 42, God answers, yes, I really care about what's best for you. And in this passage, there's a man with leprosy who comes to Jesus and he says, he gets on his knees and he starts begging him and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you hear that question? If you're willing, like, I know you can. I say that to God all the time when I pray. God, I know you can do this. Do you want to? I really, I want you to. Like, will you do this? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Does God really care? Yeah, he does. And he is willing. And Mark, and there's, there's so many stories. I'm not touching on all of them. I'm just going to hit a couple that I think make the point well. In Mark 9, 21 to 26, there is another story. And this um, Boy is being, um, he's been demon-possessed since he was a child. And his father brings him to Jesus, and he says, you know, he, the demon will um, throw him into the fire or water and try to kill him, and he'll, like, convulse and have seizures on the ground and these horrible experiences. And as a parent, that is terrifying. My brother used to have seizures when he was little. And um, terrifying, too. I barely remember because I was pretty little, but my parents to this day will talk about it. Like, they don't know, like, is he going to die? Is it just a matter of, of time for him to, like, calm down, start breathing? They've called 911, which it takes at least a half hour for the ambulance to get to our house because of where we live. So they're not going to save him in that time. It's really just crying out to God, what is going on? Can you, will you save him? And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? 
And actually, the, he had started doing this in front of Jesus. So he's not even able to communicate. Well, I mean, it's Jesus, but he, um, the, the boy is having this, this convulsion because of the demon attacking him. So he asked the father, how long has he been like this? He says, since his childhood. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, or if I can, anything, everything is possible if you believe. And the, boy said, the boy's father says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Which I think is beautiful because we want to believe. Again, we know God can. Even when he says, if you can, some of it is, we, we know conceptually, yes, God can. But it's hard to believe when we see what's going on around. Yeah, we know you can, but sometimes you choose to not step in. And Jesus immediately rebuked the spirit and commanded him to come out and never return. And the spirit did what he said. Help my unbelief. Will God really do what he promised? This is something, you know, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he wrestled with this. Because he came to, like, preach the good news that someone is coming, this Messiah we have long waited for that was prophesied even back in the story of Adam and Eve. He was prophesied. That this snake, his punishment for tempting Eve, for introducing doubt, introducing evil to the world, it says one day the offspring of this woman will crush your head. One day. And for all of Israel's history, over a thousand years, they have waited and they have prayed and they have anticipated someone who would come and rescue them. And then John, who is Jesus' cousin, he's been preaching this. He's the one who baptized Jesus. He experienced, you know, hearing the voice of God, seeing the Holy Spirit descending. He experienced that this is the one God has chosen. But John is being persecuted and sentenced and he's in prison. And so he sends one of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who we're expecting or should we expect someone else to come? And even John, who's pretty close to Jesus, he's experiencing this doubt. And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What you've seen, what you've heard, not just what I'm telling you to say, but tell him what you have seen and what you have experienced on your own. He's in, he's in prison, he's not seeing it, but this is happening right now. I am who I said I am. I am doing what God has promised, what I have promised. And all these things we get glimpses of, and yet it's not completely here yet. The world is not completely restored yet, and yet the blind are receiving sight the lame are walking. There are glimpses that, yes, God is beginning to do. God is continuing to do. God is committed to doing what he has promised. And he doesn't chastise John for his doubt. He just answers the question, giving him reasons to keep believing. Is God really who he says he is? The most famous doubter in scripture goes by the name of Thomas. He's one of Jesus' disciples. And he gets a lot of uh, crap from everyone. Like, he walked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. How could he doubt? And after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to everyone except Thomas. I feel bad for Thomas. 
He's like left out. And seriously, wouldn't you feel a little bit pranked when all your best friends are like, hey, you know, our friend who like he died, he's, he's alive again. I mean, it's a mean prank. But um, especially boys, you guys have done stuff like that, I know. Um, and so his friends are all like, hey, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. No, you have to believe it. And he's like, yeah, right. I saw him. I loved him. This is not a joke to me. And basically, I'm not going to believe anything until I can see the nail marks and put my finger where they were. Put my hand in the hole on his side. Maybe you found someone who looks like him. Doesn't have the nail marks, not Jesus. And a week later, they're meeting together and this time Thomas is with him and the doors were locked and Jesus came into the room. And he immediately says to Thomas, put your finger here. <laughs> Jesus is funny. Um, is God really who he says he is? Yeah. He said he's gonna come back. He says death is not the end. Touch my hands and see. We believe in an empty cross and an empty tomb. And um, that's, that's hard to prove. Because if there's a body there, you can prove there's a body. The body's missing. It's hard to prove why it's missing. And there is some element of belief, and yet God comes to us in our places of doubt. If you are willing, if you can, and Jesus said, yeah, I am willing, be healed. I can if you believe. Will Jesus really do what he promised? Look, the lame are walking. People are being healed. People are being restored. I, I feel like often when people become Christians, we feel like everything ought to immediately change, and sometimes it does. And I remember one um, teenage girl that I mentored a long time ago. She became a Christian, and there were some really, really big problems in her life, like personal, that I'm like, okay, God, this is going to be the first stuff you touch on. You're going to convict her, and she's going to act differently, and this is going to change. And as I'm mentoring her and praying with her, and she's just like, no, I don't, like, not like defiantly, I don't want to change, but she's just not convinced. And I thought God's going to step in and do all this stuff. But God starts working and changing, restoring relationships in her family. And I'm like, not where I thought you would start, but you are clearly working. Sometimes I think we, we doubt God because we're so focused on the one thing we think he needs to be doing first or he should be doing now, and we miss everything else going on. Yeah, John's in prison, so that's maybe what he sees. If you are really who you promised, aren't you setting the captives free? Why am I still here? And the message comes back, yes, but the lame are walking, the blind can see. God is working. Is God really who he says he is? That's hard because we aren't able to touch him. We have to rely on a story that's 2,000 years old that happened. And there's something in the Bible that is said over and over again about how important faith is to God, how much belief matters. And yet in these, these accounts, of his disciples, of the people that he came into contact with, you see the compassion he has on those who doubt. That even in our doubts, he is still present. We don't have to wait until all of our doubts are gone to believe. We can believe and still wrestle with why 
is this happening? Why are these things difficult? Why haven't you completely fixed our world yet? But as we wrestle with it, it's not saying we don't believe, it's challenging God. But it's, it's an act of faith to still even be talking to God, to be coming to God and saying, God, I know you can, but will you? And in church, I feel like often we feel ashamed of that, that we need to be more confident. And I hope over time we become more confident that our experiences and our choice to remember all that God has done will help us to have faith more easily. But at the same time, there are moments um, where the fruit is in front of us. and We're like, God, this looks really good. It smells good. It's a hint why I think it can't be durian. Um, it's pretty. Why not? And we wrestle with God. I, I wish I had an answer on why we don't trust God. I, I struggle with this. I figure after nearly 35 years of being a Christian, it should come easily. And some days it does. Some days it's really easy. And some days, I'm like, it looks good. And then I have to choose. Does God really care about what's best for me? He said he does. Jesus showed he does. Will God really do what he promised? It sure looks like it. From everything that he's done in the past, he has always come through, even when it takes 400, 500 years. He does come through. And is God really who he says he is? Yeah, he is. My, my challenge, my hope for all of you is that even as you struggle, that you would still choose to believe what he has said who he has shown himself to be, and that you would look for ways that God is indeed active in our lives and in our world. And know that God does love each of us and care about what is best for each of you. Let's pray.